Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is the China Sports Insider Podcast. My name is Hyde Balian. And Mark Dreyer is on the other end of the line. Mark, how you doing? I am very excited today, Haig, because as we teased last week, a very, very special guest on the China Sports Insider podcast this week. Yeah, we are going to talk to maybe one of the most famous athletes in China. I think that's probably debatable, but we can debate that. Um, we've talked about him on this show. It is... Joe Guan Yu. Joe Guan Yu. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the line. I think he was in Barcelona, right? Where he's gearing Correct. up for the Spanish Grand Prix. Mark, how just how famous is Joe Guan Yu? I mean, look, he's he's a rookie in F1. He is a um up-and-coming star, I think it's fair to say, uh in, in China. He's 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 certainly not anywhere close to the level of of the the names of the past, you know, the Yao Ming's, the Linas, Lin Dan, but the Badminton player, you know, those sorts of players. But you know, I think everyone is aware of Joe Guan Yu right now because of the the attention that he's received from the media. When he scored a 10th place uh, uh, finish in his debut race and, and got uh, one point on his debut, to be in the points, you know, everyone was posting about it. People who, who um, I had no idea ha- had been following or had an interest in, in motorsports were posting about it on their WeChats. And, and so I was really, really surprised to see quite how many people were we're, we're aware of that, and and of course, then we're we're following him since. He talks a little bit in uh, uh, as we'll hear later about how the attention he received in 2019, and just kind of wondered out loud, like, I mean, it would be amazing to come back to Shanghai now. This was the last time he was there. He said, um, and it would be crazy. I mean, a different league in terms of his profile within China, um, and just you know, as a as a homegrown star for something for a, a major international sports event like that, it's it's. Uh, it's going to be so good when, 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 and please, sooner rather than later, <laughs> we can get the Shanghai what, Grand Prix what, back. But what, what, what is that going to happen, Mark? <laughs> uh, let me gaze into my crystal ball. Crystal um, ball, exactly. You know, kind yeah, of leads it, us into our, into our next story. Well, yeah. I mean, the biggest sports story in China, in sport, had, is still COVID. I mean, after we recorded last week, another bombshell that China will not host the Asian Cup next summer. Uh, the implications are just not good. I, you know, I read that piece in Reuters by Michael Church that you were, uh, where you were interviewed, Mark. Uh, and, and that was about how Chinese football, and he's writing about the men's game. And that was about how Chinese 
Football is in a tailspin just 10 years after it looked like it was going to take over the world. Now, we, we touched on this in December when we interviewed Tarek Panja of the New York Times and Nikki Wong, who, who's an advisor with the CSL. And in the Reuters piece, and I want to sort of follow up with you with this. You, you said it used to be a given that he, Xi Jinping, would live to see China host a World Cup. But now I think it's only 50-50. 50-50 seems really optimistic. Give me the optimistic case. Why Why are you saying 50-50? Okay, um, so this is obviously speculative, but in his lifetime, so Xi Jinping is about to turn 69. So, you know, what are we talking about? Uh, you know, another 20 plus years? Um, I don't think he's out of the realms of possibility that China will recover from COVID and then become a destination. We hope it will become... Uh, an international sporting destination at some point. Now, we've talked many times on the last uh, few programs that it's not going to happen next year. It's not going to happen next year. Um, hopefully, it, it's not too long before for China is able to emerge in some level from this pandemic. Um, and then it's still the size of the market. You know, like that. that's why brands haven't, you know, uh, up and left uh, in the way that perhaps they they are doing in in Russia, that's some of the headlines we're seeing right now. So good point. It's honestly six months from now. Who knows what's going to happen? So it's very hard to to talk about what might happen in twenty years. But you know, China is still known to be able to host a great event. Like that's a given. We've seen that from two Olympics. We've seen it from from other events as well. Um, it has money. It has the political will to attract a World Cup. It's it has not going to be. Yeah, it's not going to be, you know, the, the 2030 or, or even the 2034 World Cup that perhaps we thought uh, a decade or even half a decade ago. That was when it was so, so, you know, people were really beginning to talk about China hosting a World Cup. But to, to say in his lifetime, I, I'm thinking, well, we've got sort of like a, a, a 20, 25 year <laughs> time frame there. So I think it's still possible. But the immediate future for China is, I have to say, it's grim. It's really grim. I mean, I want to credit the AFC actually for for kind of putting pressure on China um, to to make a decision. It was an early call, but uh, you know, if they want were want to um, put a, put an alternate host in place, you know, that takes time. The AFC for all these events, and and of course, uh, a lot of organizers for major events, they do uh, site visits. Now you can imagine what that was turning out to be like for China. Uh, a team would come over here, and they'd be in quarantine for three four weeks, and then of course. The difficulty of visiting 10 cities in China and traveling between all those things, I mean, absolutely just ridiculous and, and frankly unfeasible. So uh, it quickly became obvious that, that it wasn't going to happen for, for 2023, June next year. And, uh, and they've pulled the plug. Was, so was it the AFC's decision at the end of the day, or was it the Chinese sporting authorities who, who made the call? Well, the, the, the way that it's been written is that China has relinquished its hosting rights. I, I think it was some sort of a, a, a joint um, decision. I think it doesn't look like China was... I think China understood the, the terms of, of its hosting uh, requirements, uh, and that doesn't just start, um, you know, the middle of June next year. There's all the buildup. I mean, t- talk about the... Um, Talk about hosting the hosting the draw. You know, the, when the draw is is uh, scheduled for February next year. Now, for a World Cup draw, for 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 these big events, you want coaches on site, ideally at some big kind of launch event where everyone's discussing and building up. I mean, can you imagine coaches flying in for for, you know, for three weeks of quarantine for for a twenty minute draw? It's just not going to happen. And online, it of course, is, is not the same. So all these things, you know, contribute to it. And Ch- China doesn't. Obviously, there's, there's many different parties who are, who are making decisions with, within the CFA, which is, of course, 
for all its bluster about, you know, we're, we're free of, of government control. Of course, it's part of the sports ministry here. We know that. However, there's going to be football people who were trying to hold a good football tournament and they realize that they just can't under the current conditions in China. So they're, they're going to understand the situation uh, and and the, the fact that it's just unrealistic to, to try and attempt. But I think it's good that they made a decision just because we've seen so many late cancellations with the Asian Games, with the, the World University Games and so on uh, for, for previous events in China. The implications, though, of this beyond sport are, are huge, Mark. Like just here in Beijing, I mean, you talk to people and you're like, well, wow, like something that is, you know, we've been living with this zero COVID, these zero COVID policies for a long time. To cancel something or to move something that's over a year out is kind of a psychological blow here. Uh, at least it was for me. Are we going to be living with this for another year? The answer seems to be yeah. I mean, I think I there's two ways of looking at this. The, the best case scenario is that China can't guarantee today that it would have been able to host a, a fully open tournament next June. And of course, we've talked to, uh, you know, uh, in general details about the logistics of that, you know, 10 different cities, 24 teams, international fans coming in, as well as the pre-build up in terms of the site visits and the, and the launch and the, and the draw and so on. Um, that doesn't mean it couldn't happen. And again, this is the best case scenario. It just means that they couldn't guarantee it today. Th that's one way of looking at it. The other is that China is already preparing for a long lockdown. The answer is somewhere in between, but I, I, I'm, af I'm afraid that it's probably tending towards that second version, the, the more negative version. There's no sign that I can see that China is, is planning to emerge from COVID zero at all. They've just doubled down entirely triple down almost. And, and so this is what we're going to do. And anyone who questions it, you know, no questioning of this can be tolerated. Like it's really depressing. Maybe that <laughs> yeah. narrative, maybe that narrative changes, but, but there's no sign whatsoever of, of, of us turning the corner. What about the CSL? Can you see it not happening at all? The season just being completely abandoned? I think it'll happen. Uh, they, they did the bubble system last time. That's, that's what they're setting up to do for, for this year. But as we as we said before, you know, it, what's the point, really? You know, fans can only really watch on TV, and frankly, they have m many, many different, better uh, options of of soccer to watch on TV. Uh, so, so the fans that and the clubs that already have somewhat tenuous connection with their with their fan bases, because a lot of the teams get changed and they, the names get changed and the locations are switched on a, on a rotating basis. You know, there's a tenuous connection there between clubs and fans in soccer. And so that's that's being stretched to a breaking point if it hasn't broken already. Well, let's shift over to another sport, tennis. There's talk now of the Hong Kong Open coming back for 2023. What's the story there, Mark? Well, the story is that the uh, tournament organizer was asked, you know, what, what, what's going on here? And, and he said, well, look, he'd love to get it on the calendar for 2023. He said COVID uh, currently makes it uh, unfeasible, uh, uh, not possible for any tournaments in China this calendar year. We knew that, of course. Um, and of course, the, the other big uh, elephant in the room is, is Peng Shui. So he said, right, currently uh, COVID is making tournaments impossible and until the WTA is able to 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 sort out the Peng Shui situation, then it's it's uh, it's not going to happen. So here's the quote from Philip Mock. He said, "You know, as long as we are unclear on COVID nineteen and Peng Shui, there is no way to host it again." So he's he's trying to be optimistic for twenty twenty three, but like 
where are we going to get clarity on COVID-19? And, and, and we're certainly not getting clarity on Peng Shui um, for a long time, uh, arguably, if ever. Like, like, I just don't see a resolution to the Peng Shui, Peng Shui situation. They've called for an investigation. We've talked about this before, but just to go over it one more time, they've called for an investigation. China is not going to have an investigation into Peng Shui's allegations because their line is, well, it was all a misunderstanding and she's retracted them, so there's nothing to investigate. Even if they were to have an investigation, that wouldn't satisfy the WTA perspective anyway. So again, we're at an impasse. I don't see any kind of resolution there. Um, COVID is a, is sort of a convenient excuse not to move on because uh, they can sort of say, well, we, we would be playing if, uh, but for COVID, you know, maybe time, time, heels <laughs> there'd be plenty of people who'd be very angry if uh, if it was just sort of uh, brushed under the rug um but who knows but uh, 2023 is best case scenario um but uh, don't hold your breath i'm not i am not holding my breath another bit of news that we haven't covered yet is in f1 mercedes formula one boss Toto Wolf wants three races in China to have the same number of races that uh, that are in the U.S. right now. And Mark, boy, did he choose the wrong month to make that suggestion. <laughs> he, called, <laughs> he, called, he called China an important market. You know, of course, there's already one race in, in Shanghai and he wants another uh, another race in Beijing. And he didn't mention another location. We could talk about that later on. I mean, that just seems that just seems so far fetched at the moment. Well, look, it's 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 just it's kind of a ridiculous. You know, I'd like five races, but it's it's not <laughs> going to happen. I mean, quite quite honestly, the only way that it would happen is that um, you know everyone comes into Shanghai and camps out for three weeks, and you have it on three consecutive weekends across a two week period to get to get to get to get three races. Oh my in. god! There are no other F one standard tracks in China, so uh, one would have to be built. Now, of course. Uh, the popular format for new races is the street circuit. They've tried it in Guangzhou uh, for DTM. That was a total disaster. Um, that's probably a whole no- new podcast in itself with uh, with mm. potholes flying off and cars damaging. And then oh, basically no, what? Oh, uh, yeah. With, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a rabbit hole there. Um, uh, Beijing could happen, but uh, again, not anytime soon. And then there, there's been discussion about Hainan uh, for you know a, a free trade zone and development of sports and and I could see a track being built there longer term. But when he compares it to the U.S., we have two on the calendar for this year. We have the Las Vegas race for 2023, so that's an immediate that's a that's a reality. If it's not this year, it, it will be for next year. In China, we're talking about very intangible, uh, you know, like poss- theoretical possibilities. Yes, China can build at light speed, but uh, they're not just going to be like, okay, have a race and and make sure you get a track that's ready by next year. Um, So, and again, COVID, COVID. Hello, everyone, COVID. Like, nothing is happening. (laughs) You know, there was was something I said to in in that Reuters piece, and I said, you know, the gloss gloss has come off China's sporting ecosystem. You know, I I didn't want to be too overdramatic, melodramatic about it. Um, right now, it feels like there is no sporting ecosystem. And, and we very much hope that we can get back to something approaching where we were a couple of years ago, uh, and then build on that. And then and then China can really start to be uh, a, 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 an important sporting market again. But, but right now, it, we've just hit the pause button. And so we're kind of focused on Chinese stars like Joe Guanyu, who is overseas outside of China, uh, applying his trade uh, around the world. 
uh, right now the races in the United States calendar are uh, Austin and Miami. And from next year, it's going to be Las Vegas. Could Macau be a possible uh, destination for F1? Uh, what is China's version of Austin? Or is there one? I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe somewhere in uh, kind of the, the foothills in Yunnan or somewhere like that. I can't, can't really imagine uh, building a track there. But, uh, you know, somewhere kind of backpacker hip destination type thing f1's Who knows? first mountain track i think i could i could totally see i mean tibetan plateau there should be lots of flat space <laughs> up there that, that. <laughs> that's true it would be actually one of the most stunning locations for an f1 yeah. race ever now let's get to our interview with somebody who does race outside of the box uh, and who's going to be a huge part of f1's plans here in china it's joe guan yu we spoke to him yesterday mark what should we li- what should people listen for well, first of all, it was just uh, it was so great to have him on. You know, we've been talking with him and his team for 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 several months actually, since well before uh, he joined F1, uh, and so it was great that he was able to make time in his uh, very busy schedule. You know, talking with his team, he's just bouncing around from, of course, from testing and his gym work and and all the training that he's doing with a lot of media attention that he's getting. Um, I I think uh, you know. I heard a little bit of fire in it in his voice when and and people here when he was uh, sort of asked to when I asked asked him about responding to some critics. I think it was it was interesting that that he certainly wasn't expecting to have kind of negative reaction from 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 perhaps some 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 global people who didn't really know who he was. Uh, but he was he was quite happy to um, he's quite happy to to kind of have that put him on the map um, and and to to respond to those critics on the track, which is. Absolutely the best approach. It is the best approach. And by the way, the driving is doing a lot of talking. I mean, his team, the Alfa Romeo team, has been doing pretty well this year. I mean, yeah, he's he's only been in the points once, but he has been uh, very, very close on a number of other occasions. So if he just gets a little bit more luck and, and if he's able to develop as a driver throughout the season... I think he could be regularly scoring, you know, sort of ninth and tenth positions. Um, you know, it, it, that's best case scenario. But I think uh, I think he's he's certainly in the mix. Well, let's get to it. Here's Joe Guan Yu. We spoke to him from Barcelona. Joe Guan Yu, thank you so much for coming on the China Sports Insider podcast. It's a delight to have you on. Now, you started off in the points with a remarkable debut at the start of the season. You just missed out on a number of other occasions. What's your goal for the rest of the season? Do you have a specific points target in mind? Yeah, I mean, I think the goal is always to be in the points, especially like regarding to how this so far, the earlier of the season started you know, pretty well, uh, more than I expected or everyone expected, let's be honest. And uh, so, yeah, for sure, the expectation, I want to go up, move up another level, so which is, you know, target every race weekend, try to fighting always for the points because I feel like uh, as a team, also for myself, we are capable of doing that. So, yeah, that's, I think that's the target throughout the next, you know, from now on towards the end of the season. And, uh, yeah, of course, you know, I have goals that I set to myself early of the year, which I achieved that already. So, yeah. I think it's time to go up another step. This season must have been an absolute whirlwind for you coming into F1 for the first time and uh, touring around the world. What's been the thing that surprised you most about being in Formula One? Well, I mean, Formula One is like kind of my dream. So that's what I love about being in Formula One because it's the dream. It's like the target. That's uh, the reason of, I say, why I started my whole racing journey because I want to be at the best level of this sport 
So yeah, so I love that. I love driving Formula One. Of course, you are traveling around the world. You are racing with the best young drivers, best drivers in history. Or so it's always nice to be complete competing with them. And uh, yeah, I think uh, once you have in Formula One, there's a lot of stuff you have to take care of, and there's a lot of responsibility for you to with your team. So it's always great to have like a. Such a team sports, and uh, yeah, I love to be so far. The last five races, of course, there's been up and downs, unlucky moments, but uh, I'm enjoying so far my time here. What What is your relationship like with uh, Valtteri Bottas, and and what have you learned from him as a teammate? Yeah, I mean, uh, he helped me quite a lot, especially you know early part of the season. That uh, everything is like a new new chapter for me. And uh, I want to be get as much information as possible. So he was a very open person. That's a who is transparent with you know all the ideas he has, all this answers he was able to have in his mind. He was you know op- open to share with me. So that's very good. Also very helpful for me as a rookie. And then you know learning from him. There's uh there's everything you know because uh, he has so much experience. Not just experience, also a very quick driver. In single lap pace, in long race distance. So, for me to you know having an experienced team is always helpful. We're not searching is fighting together against each other. We are trying to help the team move forward. Also for me, it's a great way you know to be my first season. It's of course it's tough, extra pressure on me because as a rookie, try to you know be as quick as him. But uh, nevertheless, I felt like uh, it is a perfect. Uh, rookie season to have him just because I can learn so much from him. I think it's safe to say that you've really raised the profile of motorsports here in China. What what have you seen and heard from the fans back home? Oh, I mean, it's uh, just massive support back home. And uh, I think, uh, you know, from my fan base or fan base for motorsport, let's say, or Formula One back home has been growing up massively. And then for myself... Yeah, I feel like uh, you know to have that first first ever Chinese Formula One driver is very good. Not just for the you know for the people who are interested already in sports in motorsport. It's more for the people that outside from sports who is interesting, who has their countrymen represent for them. And so it's just very nice to see, like global wise back home in China. It just feels like uh, everybody has you know some attention or has some interest in Formula One, which uh, I think is the perfect example and so i'm just very very honored to be that person who is trying to bring up you know the entire motorsports cultures back home and so yeah hopefully that uh, you know i get to racing for my home crowd one day that would be awesome now guan yu a seat in formula one as you would know always requires you know a combination of talent funding and, and perhaps even some luck on the show, we've talked about, uh, you know, your success that you've had throughout in your career, but uh, a lot of people globally didn't necessarily know about you and your background. What would you say to those people who said, you know, oh, he's only in Formula One because of the Chinese market? You know, how would you respond to those critics? I mean, I think I've done mu- enough talking on track, so there's not much I, c- I want to say anymore. But uh, yeah, it was obviously... From my side, you know, when I first signed the contract, when I first joined, there's obviously, like you said, a lot different 
people has their own idea, own mind, and which I can't help, I can't change. But the only thing I could is that so when the season starts, you bring the results on track and bring the talk on track. I think that's the most efficient way and uh, straightforward way, and uh, which I was very happy in a way that I was able to done it so early of the year. So like, uh, yeah, a lot of people start change their mind, start supporting me. So it's always great to see. And uh, yeah, of course, like. Uh, I knew how much hard working I've been putting to to get that seat. Also, how much I have been putting last season. You know, to be like you said, winning F three agent, to be hundred percent secure my super license, then put that into Formula Two, trying to be a championship contender, finish top two in the championship. So, yeah, I was able to you know get that result at the end. So yeah, I was very happy to obviously get the seat. And of course, wasn't expecting people, a lot of people, to talk that way, but.、Uh, You know, if they did, it's not a problem because it feels like、uh, you got into their attention. So that's always a good thing. And then it's all about just switching things around with your results in Formula One. You mentioned earlier about about the fans back home.、So、how excited are you about the prospect of of racing in your hometown、uh, of Shanghai? And and when do you think that's going to happen? Oh,、uh, I mean, firstly, I think.、Uh, You know, my dream is Formula One. Then the next dream is one year F1 is to have your home Grand Prix, of course, because、uh, you see or you saw the atmosphere in like、uh, Silverstone, for example, for Lewis or Zandvoort last year for Verstappen is、uh, is crazy. So、uh, yes,、yeah, I think every driver's dream try to race in Formula One in their hometown, and that's also mine because I, obviously I'm from Shanghai, growing up from Shanghai, so. That's kind of like a home, home circuit. It's not just home because of the country, but also the city is my home. So, yeah,、uh, it's gonna be crazy. I think if that happens, but of course, bit unfortunately this year that、uh, with all these COVID issues that we have to be not having the Grand Prix. But、uh, the good thing is that we saw,、uh, I think last year they announced that、uh, the Shanghai Grand Prix got extended into twenty twenty five. So, as long as I'm doing well and、uh, you know keeping. All good in Formula One, and I think that will come come all together. But it's not up to me that who decide if we're gonna have the Grand Prix or not. It depends on you know all different government stuff, which I'm I'm not involved with. But yeah, I think also me Shanghai are very interesting or very wanted to host events. So it's a matter of when. So、I、have to wait. Guan Yu, you've posted pictures in the past of you、uh, attending the Grand Prix、uh, in Shanghai a- as a child. What memories do you have uh, uh, of that race, and what's your experience like on the circuit?、Uh, for me, I think my most memory was 2019, which was the last, the latest event was hosted the Chinese Grand Prix last time there. So it was the 1000 Grand Prix of Formula One, and、uh, I was very, I was in F2 first year. And、uh, yeah, I was able to have the opportunity to on Saturday to、uh, doing a demo show in the city center of Shanghai, which I would never expected because you know how difficult to close the roads in Shanghai and to be doing doing donuts in front of the home fan was very crazy. And、uh, yeah, and then the next memory was on Sunday before the Grand Prix start. I was able to do a、uh, one lap demonstration run in the very old Lotus car. So yeah, that was a huge memory for me because it's actually my first time driving in Shanghai. Because you know, I move out from the home very early to start professional racing, so not get many chances to drive in Shanghai Grand Prix. But、uh, yeah, this event is always a special event for me. And、uh, I remember back then there was crazy when I went to the 
like uh, the fan zone. You know, there was uh, people just want signature autograph or pictures. So yeah, can't imagine like right now how it's going to be. But yeah, very exciting to do that one day. That, that sounds extremely exciting. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is this is this Netflix series that, that has sort of taken the United States by storm. And on the tour, how noticeable is it for you? And, and are you being featured at all in the series? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I'll be in Netflix this year for the first time with the Drive to Survival because uh, before that I was actually in the the next the series before was in F two which was uh, Road to Road to F one and uh, yeah it was a uh, it was a good experience last few two years at least and uh, let's see what's going to happen this year because I don't know too much information about it all I know is that Netflix will be filming me throughout the season so let's see how everything end up and uh, now I'll talk to you more about it but yeah of course it's uh, it's a big thing for US and uh, I think US is a very important one for Formula 1 uh, especially the recent years you know having three Grand Prix next year so yeah well, we're talking there about developing the U.S. market, but but here we're, we're, we're also focused on developing the Chinese market post-COVID. As the first Chinese driver in Formula One, what, what, what can you do? What have you been doing to develop the sports here in China? What are the main challenges and opportunities that you see? I mean, opportunity is very big, and uh, I think opportunity is going just getting bigger and bigger throughout the season. Because now it's like you get the first interest, people watching it, and you know there will be more opportunity open. But of course, there's some the biggest limitation or challenge is that uh, one we will have the Grand Prix there. I think that's the first thing, and it's always a different when you see the Grand Prix just by on TV than see uh, at you know re- real life because you just feel very you know Formula One. You have to feel the passion about this sports about the atmosphere the crowd and also the engine the speed uh, drivers are going so yeah i think that's the biggest challenge but then yeah i think uh, everything is just going on the right path at the minute and uh, we just have to be patient just because we have you know issues that uh, we can't have a house grand prix this year but uh, yeah will be amazing you know in the coming years that so we can finally get the grand prix back because it's been missing now i think almost three years now or two three years wrong so yeah i have to ask you about the lakers and about kobe bryant because you have talked about kobe bryant as as being your hero and that's why you have the race number uh 24 what is it about kobe that that inspired you yeah i mean it's the first kind of like a sportsman that uh, or the first kind of idol or hero for me when i was a kid because it was like NBA, NBA basketball is very famous back home in China and then as a kid growing up you're always watching you know these players and he was that player that I was supporting and I was you know really thinking he was one of the greatest and uh, yeah like uh, since I was a kid you know I'm very into like uh, uh, sports very into sneakers and uh, all the stuff all the sneakers I bought was only Kobe's because he was the guy who I look up to like was a young kid and even before I started racing so it's kind of you know I was able this year or last year to pick up a number they're looking for all my numbers of course i have my favorite number but it's already been taken in formula one so then it's like uh, all the other number doesn't mean much to you so i feel like it can be a very lucky number back home because you know as chinese people we like to, we're very sensitive with the numbers 
but yeah, like uh, yeah, twenty four is pretty lucky number in general, even though it has a four on it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then Kobe is uh, for me is just the next option using his number because I just feel like to bring the mentality and uh, to be respecting him and uh, to have his number, I think is very honored for me to be using it just because I feel the energy when I see the number, so it's always great. Kobe Bryant is someone, obviously, that's inspired you in your career. Now, already you're inspiring the next generation of young Chinese drivers. What would you say to them? What's your advice to uh, to a young Chinese uh, motor racing driver who wants to make it uh, in uh, at the top of the sport? I mean, I think uh, it's very straightforward because I just feel like, uh, firstly, if you have a dream and you have to be really feel passionate about it and you have to be you know knowing the road is not the journey is not going to be easy it's not going to be a smooth way to the top you have to be it's like a roller coaster you have to be really just forcing yourself to pushing over your limits all the time and then yeah i think uh, in especially in motorsports you can't skip the ladder you have to be following the professional ladder from karting f4 all the way to formula one because each each like level of championship can really just increase your drivability and yeah for me it's uh it's very important to do that and hopefully that's uh yeah we can see another driver in the in the future but uh yeah believe me it's, it's a tough one because you know most of sports is not our sports and uh it has to be taking a lot of sacrifice a lot uh, of you know energy and mentally also just to never give up knowing maybe one day it was come true or not, but yeah. Guan Yu, I saw a tweet uh, that came from Formula One just the other day that said you were in the top five or six uh, of drivers this season with the, the highest number of overtakes, which was very impressive. What would you say is your your best skill, your main strength as a driver? Well, I think uh, it could be more overtakings if I don't have the DNF last race because I was up for, for a good one, I feel like. And so, yeah. Uh, for me, I think my biggest strength is probably the race craft. Uh, it's like uh, I've been like that for several years also. Because the overtaking, I think, is, is a strong point. But I think my biggest advantage on myself is the race craft. Just because like it's a completely new one in Formula 1. Because you have to be learning experience gaining that. But I just feel like the race pace was always straight away in Bahrain was quite strong. And I was able to maintain that, improving that throughout the season. That's why you see, like, maybe, like, sometimes my qualified position is normally where my paces are just because like, I couldn't use the full potential in quality yet over one lap, but uh, in the race, pace is always a strong one, yeah. But, yeah, overtaking is always a good... I liked overtaking, and uh, but I prefer to be at, at the front and doing your own race stuff. <laughs> well, we wish you the very best of luck, uh, not just this week uh, weekend, but for the for the rest of the season. We'll be following you closely and hope to speak again soon yep thanks thank you to joe guan yu if you have any questions or comments let us know twitter is the best way to reach us mark where can people find you dryer china d-r-e-y-e-r china on twitter and i'm at haig balian that's h-a-i-g-b-a-l-i-a-n we will see you next week <laughs>